News Network. In a world where defying the narrative means the end of a career, the destruction of a life, and courage is defined as kneeling during an anthem or dressing as the opposite sex, real courage is in telling the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. And here, with his superpower today, is Dan Newman. Not sure what superpower Pete is referring to that I have today. But we're just going to wade into the mess that we're waking up to every day about our nation. So much controversy, so much back and forth, so much that's the truth and this is the truth. And we find out almost daily what we're being told is true is not true. So who pays the price for all of this? Of course, we do as the American people, but also our nation pays a big price for this. And we lay it all at the feet of our leadership. That's what happens. That's the way a free republic operates, a representative republic. We elect people to go to D.C. and to represent us there regarding all things. I mean, from economics to foreign policy to medicine to border control, all of those things, we assign the authority and the responsibility to do all that to those 535 people that we send to Congress. And I got to be honest with you, folks, I don't give them a passing grade. I've seen it worse and I've seen it a whole lot better, but I can tell you this, it's not very good in Washington, D.C. And it looks like every day it's just degrading a little more. So why does that happen? Why do things get bad? Why do things get bad in your family? Why Why do you have challenges that you just seem to not be able to push through? Folks, every conundrum has a response, has a way to get through it. You just got to find it. You've got to prepare yourselves. And we're trying to help in just a little bit the way that we can do here at Truth News Network to keep you informed with the facts of the serious matters of the day. And we've got some today. We're going to get right into it. Coming up through the show today, in just a moment, you're going to hear we have some more COVID-19 news for you. It seems like we have a bunch every day. And when we're referencing those experts that our government puts out there and says, you got to listen to these people, it just gets worse and worse every day. There is no credibility. It seems like there's no integrity. There's no honesty. It seems like what we get from those experts always boils down to their opinions. And to be honest with you, the likes of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who was supposed to be the foremost expert regarding all kinds of infectious disease issues, when he gives us information, it no longer sounds like it even might be truthful. It might be accurate. Almost all of what he gives to us folks comes from a slanted political perspective. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to even have to say this, but it's almost like every time he opens his mouth, my, uh, question meter starts dinging. What does that mean? That means I'm asking, now why is he telling us that? I don't give any credence to the information that we hear from Dr. Fauci. And that means, folks, I'm just one person of 330 million. That means there are a lot of people out there that just don't trust the so-called expert. And in the midst of all of this, people around us are getting the COVID-19 vaccine and one of its variants, the Delta variant, and they're dying, getting really sick. Many are dying. 
I don't think we're even any closer than we were. Think about what's happening in Washington, D.C. today. All those Texas Democrats got on that private plane last week, and they took off up there. None of them were wearing masks, and first it was three that tested positive for COVID, then it was four, then it was five, and now it's six. Now, anybody can get COVID-19, right? Well, when you're vaccinated, you're not supposed to get the disease for which you're vaccinated, right? Every one of those Texas Democrats was vaccinated for COVID-19 before they got on that jet. Every one of them. So what's going on, folks? I got to be honest with you. The only thing I'm certain of is that we are not getting the truth out of this administration. And it's not just about COVID-19. It's about a whole bunch of other things all rolled in together. So I don't know if you've um, turned to truthnewsnet.org this morning to take a look at our cover story, but I thought in our opening it would it would be good for us to reference it because it's, it's almost tongue-in-cheek in a way, but it also addresses these serious issues we're facing. Title of it is Stupid Is As Stupid Does, and everybody listening, you know the source of that. It came from Forrest Gump. Yep, stupid is as stupid does. Now, Forrest has got it going on, didn't he? He really did. Forrest Gump is a fictional character. And he's a fictional character who achieved just about everything in his life that he wanted to achieve. And he sure said some smart stuff like that one. So what would Forrest Gump think about what's going on in the U.S. today if he were still with us and he was a real person? Now, remember... His days in the movie, Forrest days, were the days of Vietnam in the late 60s and early 70s. Things were a lot different then, right? Well, maybe not so. In their effort to subvert democracy and the will of us, the people, those Texas Democrats, those lawmakers appear to have caused a coronavirus super spreader event in D.C., What's more, just hours after meeting with these anti-democracy Democrats, her vice fraudulency, Kamala Harris, was off to Walter Reed Hospital on Sunday for what the White House called a, quote, routine doctor's appointment, like going to the doctor on Sunday afternoon is routine, right? Five of these Texas Democrats, five who flew to Washington late last week with no mask on that private jet, They tested positive, and as we just said, overnight another. So they've got six. It should be noted that everyone involved, Kamala and all these Democrats, they've all been fully vaccinated. That's an important factor. We'll talk about that in a minute. The White House is doing its best to spin this Texas debacle. They say Kamala's wildly coincidental Walter Reed visit is a routine doctor's visit, but have not said if it was already on her schedule. Of Kamala and these Texas Democrats who fled their state to stop Texas from instituting laws to protect the integrity of elections, Kamala's spokeswoman, Simone Sanders, said this. This is an official statement. Based on the timeline of these positive tests, it was determined that the vice president and her staff present at the meeting were not at risk of exposure because they weren't in close contact with those who tested positive and therefore do not need to be tested 
or quarantine. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, what does all this mean? These entitled, spoiled Texas Democrat crybabies, they go AWOL from their sworn duty and fly to D.C. without masks for a round of corporate media bootlicking. And they end up super spreading the China flu amongst themselves and they meet with the vice president. Then the vice president just jumps over to Walter Reed. It's as though God's sitting back smiling in a make America great again hat. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't put this together if you tried. Talk about some irony. Talk about some hypocrisy in full view. So on top of this being the debacle of all debacles, something no one's talking about is how this debacle of all debacles is going to affect the White House's already failed crusade to increase their vaccination rates. You just know America's vaccine holdouts are watching the debacle of debacles unfold and they're all saying, see, they're all vaccinated and they still got the China flu. So let's count the rakes these morons have stepped on. You know, when you step on one and the handle comes up and hits you right in the face? First, they fly in a private jet. Secondly, they don't wear masks on this private jet. Third, five catch the coronavirus and now a sixth. Four, the vice president goes to Walter Reed. Five, what was supposed to be a corporate media bonanza about brave Democrats dropping everything to protect democracy, it turns into a mini-pandemic. And six, planet unvaccinated is feeling pretty smug right now. (laughs) So what about the rest of us? Well, while they're doing this, and, and, and just stop for a second, think about what they're doing. Why did they go to Washington, D.C.? Well, they didn't want to vote on that Texas voter law or bill that's on the table. And so they left so the Texas legislature couldn't get a a quorum to have a vote to pass it. So what are they doing in D.C.? Well, they're going to D.C. They went to D.C. to implore President Biden to do whatever it took to kill the filibuster in the Senate so the Senate could pass H.R. 1 that overhaul of our election center, our unconstitutional overhaul of our election operations, and turn it over to the federal government. So let's get this right. They're in D.C., not in Austin, Texas. So basically what they're doing is filibustering. They left Texas via filibuster, and they went to D.C. to ask the president to kill the filibuster. Some insanity playing in here, right? So what about the rest of us? Well, real Americans, we got to stay at work, even if we don't like what's going on there. Real Americans lose their jobs if we don't go to work. Real Americans can't afford private jets. Real Americans are forced to wear masks when we fly. So, honestly... How does 2022 in the midterm elections not end up being a total wipeout for Democrats? So what else is strange about these COVID-19 cases? Well, all of these Texas Dems had already been vaccinated. 
Yep, six, as of today, have been diagnosed with the virus. In the language of the medical experts, this second COVID-19 diagnosis is called breakthrough infections, breakthrough infections. They can't explain it, folks. <laughs> they don't understand it, so they got to give it a name, and that makes it okay. Oh, yeah, breakthrough infections. These happen all the time. So what is that short for, breakthrough infections? Here's what I think it means. There's no way in Hades is this supposed to happen. We have no idea why, and we have no idea how. All we know is that in a whole bunch of folks, including these six, it's happened, and it's probably going to continue to happen. In fact, folks, those epidemiologists and virologists at the CDC, led by Tony, hurriedly found a way to explain away these facts with these breakthrough infections to make them seem kind of Forrest Gumpish. Here is the CDC's official explanation. A total of 10,260 SARS-CoV-2 vaccine breakthrough infections has been reported from 46 states and territories. Now, this is as of April 30th, a couple of months ago. The findings in this first report are subject to at least two limitations, they say. First limitation, the number of reported COVID vaccine breakthrough cases is likely a substantial undercount of all COVID infections among fully vaccinated people. The national surveillance system relies on passive and invo- excuse me, and voluntary reporting, and data might not be complete or representative. In other words, we're going to give you these numbers, but we know we're way off on our numbers. We're probably, oh, 10, 20, maybe even 30 times off, but we think it's important to give you numbers to try to convince you that we're really knowledgeable and we know what the heck we're talking about. Let's continue with the CDC statement. The national surveillance system relies on passive and voluntary reporting. Data might be maybe not complete or representative. Many folks with vaccine breakthrough infections, especially those who are asymptomatic or who experience mild illness, they might not seek testing. So in other words, the numbers we just gave you, probably wrong. Second, COVID-19 sequence data are available for just a small proportion of the reported cases. So in other words, that's a typical political speak of we don't have a clue what we're talking about, but we want you to feel like we really do know and we were expecting this, but we just didn't want to throw it out there and scare you. So remember this. The CDC themselves told us regarding the numbers of vaccination adverse effects reported to the CDC from doctors around the nation. The real numbers of these breakthrough infections are at least 10 times more. So by their own explanation, the CDC, this 10,262 breakthrough infections probably is about 120,000 all the way up to quarter of a million. And folks, that was as of April 30th. So to muddy up all the numbers for we American plebes, the CDC and their wisdom, they found a way, surprise, surprise, to hide the true numbers of breakthrough cases going forward. 
How they do that? Well, of course, we have their own words. These are the words from the CDC. Beginning May 1st of 2021, the CDC, they tell us, transitioned from monitoring all reported COVID-19 vaccine breakthrough infections So what they're going to do now is just investigate only those among patients who are in the hospital or, God forbid, die, thereby focusing on the cases of highest clinical and public health significance. CDC will continue to lead studies in multiple U.S. sites to evaluate vaccine effectiveness and collect information on all COVID-19 vaccine breakthrough infections, regardless of clinical status. In other words, we're going to continue to collect all this, but we don't trust these reports are full and accurate, so we're just going to kind of throw out some numbers along the way. That's basically what they're telling us, folks. So at the end of all this, where does this latest spate of information leave us average Americans? Many who choose not to be vaccinated. Well, in the famous, the words of that infamous American, Butch Cassidy, just before he and the Sundance Kid jumped to their deaths off that cliff in South America, we're screwed. (laughs) At this point in this comic tragedy we call life in America, you got to laugh about it, folks, to simply keep from crying about it. And you know what? That's fine with Washington. The less we know for certain, the more they can go easy and they don't have to look over their shoulders for us. They're not yet looking to make sure Bubba ain't in hot pursuit to exercise his Second Amendment rights by capping them in their butts. It hadn't got that bad yet. But the fat lady hasn't sung yet either. So let's put all of this insanity in one big bucket to finish this today. All the riots, all the inflation, all the elitist hypocrisy, allowing naked men in your daughter's locker room, the woke tards, the economy, gas prices, burning cities, violent crime, gun grabbing, new anti-science mask mandates. Who'd vote for these smug, incompetent, bigoted idiots? Remember, Forrest, stupid is as stupid does. And one more thing, you can't fix stupid. Man, I can't wait to get in the voting booth in 2022. What about you? (laughs) I just pray that our votes that we cast really count this time. And if the elites on the left have their way, of course, we will never know going forward in our upcoming history if any of our election results that we're told are real. That's just one more thing. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. So we've got a lot of things to to get into today, and we're going to do just that. Let me remind you. Every day we post a new story, almost every day, sometimes two stories. Every once in a while we'll miss one, but there's some really important information that you can find every day at truthnewsnet.org. All our stories go live at 1.45 a.m. Central Time. Uh, That's in the middle of the night. Nobody expects you to get up 
and wait with bated breath to read it. But just a reminder, when you get up, they're always there. This show, after it's over, every day, in just a matter of minutes, it's automatically uploaded in its entirety to Spotify Podcast and also to Apple Podcast on iTunes. If you've got an iTunes account, a Spotify account, they're absolutely free to you. All you do is just go to the search in Apple Podcast or Spotify Podcast, and in the st- in the search uh, slot there, just enter TNN Live every day in their entirety. You can download them from there. You can listen to them from there, or you can download them, keep them, forward them to somebody. I'll tell you what, if you want to point somebody to the show and get them interested in knowing what and how we do it, just tell them, hey, go to Spotify. Go to Spotify Podcasts. Go to uh, Apple iTunes, iPod, not iPod, iTunes Podcast, and put in TNN Live and let them take a listen. We thank you for doing that. We're having a lot of people that are joining us there. And, of course, you, every day, you're here with us. Your comments are important. Your questions are important. We want your two cents, so please don't ever hesitate to give us a jingle anytime during the show, toll-free, 866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. 1-866-378-7884. And if you don't want to go on the, on, the, on the air, we understand. Feel free, though. We still want to hear from you. Drop us a note, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Well, in all of the fury and the fuss and the rushing around, do you know what yesterday marked? Yesterday marked the end of the first six months of the Joe Biden administration. That's right, January 20th, he took the oath of office to be the 46th president of the United States. Somebody need well, maybe Jill, needs to just lean over and remind him, hey, Joe, you're a president now. You can't fart in public. I don't know for sure, but I don't think that fact ever bothered Joe. If he's got to, he's got to. And if he wants to, I think he'll do it. <laughs> so how do you analyze his first six months? Now we're going we're gonna to do a couple of little analyses. First of all, I'm going to let you listen to somebody who's not a really big Joe Biden fan. And that would probably be on television. One of the greatest critics of the president is Sean Hannity. So last night, here's just part of how Sean analyzed Joe Biden's first six months as POTUS, President of the United States. First up, let's look at the hostile actor Vladimir Putin from the hostile regime, the country known as Russia. On the campaign trail, Joe Biden falsely accused President Trump of being too soft on Russia, even referring to Donald Trump as Putin's puppet. And Biden's tough talk was apparently reserved just for Donald Trump. Well, his first six months in office, it was Joe Biden that bent over backwards to please Vladimir. It's Biden who is really Putin's puppet, likely compromised due to the three and a half million that his son's zero experience Hunter got for his company 
from the Russian oligarch, former first lady of Moscow. Imagine if that was a Trump kid. We now know that some of that money went to Joe himself. And get this, after Russian hackers disrupted America's most important oil and gas pipeline uh, and other hacks that took place, Biden rewards Russia by lifting all U.S. sanctions, granting a waiver on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline project from Russia into Germany, our Western European allies, all while firing high-paying career jobs for those American workers on the Keystone XL pipeline right here in the U.S. Next, after another Russia hack targeted our food supply and our meat supply, Biden again rewarded Putin with a one-on-one -on -one summit in Europe. The so-called summit produced zero concessions from Vladimir Putin. So Biden's grade will start here for handling Russia and Putin. Yeah, that would be a big fat F. No one in modern history has been weaker on Russia than Joe Biden. Now, keep in mind, Russia, along with China, they're now supplying Iran with weaponry, uh, the number one state sponsor of terror, and they're providing supplies to conduct their proxy wars and their terror campaign all around the world. That didn't stop Joe Biden from greenlighting and pressuring South Korea to hand over $7 billion in frozen assets to the Iranian mullahs. Now, this is Iran we now know is once again enriching uranium under Joe's watch at an accelerated rate. It's clearly on track to develop a nuclear weapon. That's happening on Joe's watch. Now, remember, this is the same Iranian regime that has stated has a stated goal of wiping Israel and the United States off the face of the planet and the same Iran that chants death to Israel, death to America and burns both our flags. The same Iranian regime that just tried to kidnap right here in our country a journalist in New York City. But instead of punishing Iran, Joe is appeasing the mullahs in Iran, even lifting sanctions in spite of these open hostilities. Uh, it looks like the Iranian mullahs own Joe Biden. So Joe gets another F as Iran is now more, they're now more emboldened than ever before. We could go on and on and on with Sean, as you can imagine. If you're familiar with the Sean Hannity show, that's exactly what he did. He went on and on and on. But we want to break in there and Let's just analyze for ourselves just one little bitty part of Joe Biden's first six months. What was the first thing Joe Biden did when he took the oath of office and went to the Oval Office for the first time as president? Well, he did some executive orders. They were stacked a mile high on the desk in the Oval Office. But the biggest one, the one that has made economically the biggest in-cap impact on the nation since is the cancellation of the XL pipeline permit, which stops that pipeline that was transferring carbon products from Southern Canada down through the heart of the nation, our nation to the Gulf coast. And immediately, all of a sudden we had been under Donald Trump, totally energy independent, but now all of a sudden these big, oil and gas companies that are headquartered here in the United States, they had to kind of reassess where they were getting their energy from, how they were getting it, and all of a sudden, we started buying a bunch of our oil. The next month, a bunch of our oil from guess who? Our buddy in Russia, Vladimir Putin, seven million barrels of oil last month, predicted to be eight million this month. Now, what have we told you again and again and again? 
in politics, when you can't understand why something's happened almost all of the time, you can find your answer or at least get close to it if you do what? Follow the money. Follow the money. Now, Robert Mueller and his staff of 20 hardcore leftist attorneys that hated Donald Trump, they spent about $40 million of our tax dollars in the Mueller probe. Into what? The allegations that Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump were in cahoots to beat Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election so Vladimir could put his guy in the Oval Office. They didn't find anything. They had an unlimited budget. They could do whatever they want. They had carte blanche to just go after Donald Trump. And usually, folks, when when an intelligence department that is as big as this one, the biggest one in the world, when they want to find something on somebody, guess what they always do? They find something on somebody. They couldn't find anything with which to run Donald Trump out of office. And they tried hard twice. Why do you think they couldn't find it? Let me just give you my synopsis. As different as Donald Trump is, as speckled as his his past is, they couldn't find anything that was worthy of driving him out of office, meaning an impeachable offense. So they began to try to even make things up. None of it stuck. I hate to tell everybody this, but in spite of beating a a gregarious, a self-absorbed often billionaire, Donald Trump is not a criminal. Oh my gosh, Adam Schiff, if he was dead, he'd roll over into his grave if he heard me say that. Donald Trump is not a criminal. If he was, they would have certainly found out that he was in some way or some ways in bed with the Russians. It didn't happen. So this XL pipeline cancellation, all of a sudden the price of gas began to go up. And let me put just this one thing in perspective in Joe Biden's first six months as president. Think back a couple of years. In 2019, here in the United States, we burned 142-plus billion gallons of finished motor gasoline and diesel. That's what we used in 2019, 142 billion gallons. That's about 3.5 billion barrels of oil. So let's break that down. That's an average of about 390.98 million gallons or about 9.31 million barrels of oil per day. And so just so you know and you can follow the numbers here, there are 42 U.S. gallons in one barrel of oil. So what does that work out to be? Every day, 365 days in the year, we use 391 million gallons of oil per day. So in the first six months of the Biden administration across the nation, the price of gasoline at the pump, diesel at the pump has gone up about a buck a gallon. You know what that means in money? How much more money you and I, companies, our government is spending for auto fuel, gas and diesel? We are spending more today per day 
$391 million more per day for gas and diesel under this president than we did under Donald Trump. Let's just round that off. $400 million a day. Where's that money going? Where is all that money going? Well, it's going in some companies' pockets, some nations' pockets, some individuals' pockets. But who's paying that $391 million more than we were paying every day? The American people. Oh, but a bunch of that, Dan. Most of that is these big major corporations. You know, the ones that have these fleets of automobiles and trucks and trains. They're the ones that are using it. Folks, those are the people that don't pay anymore. They don't pay taxes. Well, yeah, they do. Amazon, in spite of what Biden says and others say, Amazon pays hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. But they really don't pay those taxes. They write the checks. The money for those, those tax dollars they have to write those checks for, when taxes go up, they raise their prices. So then, who pays for the tax increases? Who pays for their taxes? The American people. When you, when you place an Amazon order, you're paying some more than you paid a year ago for the same things that you were getting and same things Amazon was using because the price of fuel basically went through the roof because of Biden's policies. That's just one little bitty thing. One little bitty thing. But what the heck do I know? What does Sean Hannity know? If we want to know about Biden's economy as president of the United States, who should we go to? Who should we listen to? Novel idea. How about the president himself? Joe Biden. Before I took office, there was a lot of folks out there, a lot of folks out there making some pretty bold predictions about how things would turn out. You might remember some of the predictions uh, that if if I became president, we'd quote, see a depression, the likes of which we've never seen, end of quote. We're making serious progress to ensure that it works the way it's supposed to work for the good of the American people. So for all those predictions of doom and gloom six months in, here's where we stand. We've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. And they account for about 60% of the price increases we've seen over the last few months. So if your primary concern right now is inflation, you should be even more enthusiastic about this plan. Oh my gosh, don't you feel better? Don't you feel warm and fuzzy? Uncle Joe just said, hey, all this economic gloom and doom, all this money, all these extra dollars you're paying for a loaf of bread or a gallon of gasoline or a gallon of milk, whatever it happens to be, it's only temporary. We expected it. Yeah, we expected it if this administration did the things that it's doing. We were praying they wouldn't, but sure enough, they did it, and inflation is going through the roof. Guess where we're headed within 90 days, folks? 
inflation in the United States will eclipse the highest inflation rate increase than ever before in American history. That's the angle that we're on under this presidency. And I mean, you throw in all the other travesties. We're going to get into some of it. You throw all that other stuff in, and folks, it just makes you want to lay down and drink something either hallucinogenic (laughs) or something that will just put you out of your misery. I mean, it is, it is almost, it's bordering on being obscene what has played out. You couldn't have gotten me to say a year ago that if Donald Trump didn't win and if Joe Biden won, I would not in my wildest imagination be able to create the debacles, I mean, side by side, stacked on top of each other, that have happened in the United States on his watch. I couldn't imagine that we could go into the tank as quickly as we are seeing ourselves slide into a sewage tank as a nation. And I don't see an end in sight. I'm sure you don't either. As long as Joe Biden is president, as long as Nancy Pelosi is House Speaker Chuck Schumer, majority leader in the Senate, folks, this nation is on not a downward slide, but a downward plunge. And we've already taken the first big, deep dive in our world of economics. Oh, don't don't even think about the fact that since he's been president, one million illegal aliens have been apprehended at the southern border sneaking over. And they don't even sneak over anymore. They come over the border looking for Border Patrol agents because this administration has summarily thumbed its nose at the enforcement of the rule of law. Immigration laws, throw them out the window. That's what Joe Biden did. They don't care about the rule of law. They don't care why Congress crafted the immigration laws that we have now. They don't like them. That's not a big deal in American history. That's not a big deal in our government. There are methods in place that take care of that. Our forefathers knew that every law that was passed back in the 1700s wouldn't work in 2000s, and so they put a bunch of different methods in our government process in the Constitution that allows those representatives of ours, the ones that we send to D.C. to serve in the U.S. Congress and the Senate for us, They can do away with laws. They represent us. They're our voices. They can add new laws. They can change the one they have. But nobody, not a single person in this country, has the authority to change one single law. Not a person. And you remember all the screaming and hollering, Pelosi and Schumer, all the Democrats were making even some turncoat Republicans during the Trump administration. He wants to be a dictator. He wants to have sole control of everything. Not one time, not one time during Trump's four years in the White House did he do what Biden has done a hundred times so far when it comes to thumbing noses at federal laws and encouraging law-breaking. We had Mike Johnson, congressman of the 4th, Congressional District of Louisiana on with this last Friday. You heard a bit of that. We played it back yesterday for those of you who had missed it. 
And uh, the reason Mike came on is I asked him as a constitutional attorney and expert to come on and, and talk to us about this administration, this president, Joe Biden, thumbing his nose at the rule of law. What authority could any president do that? There is none. Nobody in public service has the right to ignore laws. In fact, they each swear an oath to uphold the laws because we elected them to represent us. And yet the president, this president of the United States has allowed a million people to come here spending tens of billions of taxpayer dollars. He accounts to nobody. Nobody's holding him accountable for this law-breaking that he has suborned by his quote-unquote executive actions. And they're not even in writing. He just picks up the phone and calls his Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, and says, hey, buddy, y'all stop doing this. Yeah, it's the law, but who cares? You're an attorney, Mr. Mayorkas, but now there's a new sheriff in town. So we're going to do it my way. Don't question me. Just sit down and shut up, and let's get this show on the road. We're going to do it the Biden way. That's exactly where we are. Wow, enough on that. Enough on Uncle Joe. Let's move forward a little bit. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get the very latest of COVID-19 news. China's in the middle of it, and there's some other news that comes out daily. Remember, now we're on target every day. We're bringing you the latest, greatest tidbits of information on COVID-19. We're desperate to get to the facts, folks, because no surprise here, our government changes the narrative day to day, almost hour to hour. And we Americans, we're the ones in the bullseye of COVID-19, not our government members, of course, unless you're one of those Texas senators that flew to D.C. and is sitting up there now with COVID-19 and they're not at home in their own beds. That and much more after this at TNN Live. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, 50 years and the light's still on. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it. For a limited time, at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. You know, we haven't talked much about 
electric energy and this green energy stuff. Before we launch into COVID-19, I wanted to bring you something. If you think through this electric battery operated everything, boy, it sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, you know, they, they burn clean. There's no carbon emission, no pollution or whatsoever. They don't want to talk about, first of all, the fact that you have to have batteries and getting the materials out of Mother Earth to build batteries is extremely polluting in every way possible. They don't want to talk about that. They don't talk about the remnants of all of the uh, digging and stripping uh, elements out of the ground and what it does to our environment. Additionally, though, folks, let me just drop a, a few information pieces on you. If electric cars don't use gasoline, which obviously they don't unless it's it's a hybrid, they're not going to participate in paying a gasoline tax on every gallon that is sold for automobiles, which was enacted a bunch of years ago to help what? Maintain our roads and bridges. They're going to use the same roads as these carbon-emitting vehicles do, but they're not going to pay for the road's maintenance. Ding, 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 ding. Nobody's talked about that. And in case you were thinking about buying hybrid or an electric car, ever since the advent of electric cars, the real cost per mile of those things has never even been discussed. All you ever heard was the miles per gallon in terms of gasoline, with not a mention of the cost of electricity to run it. So electricity has to be one of the least efficient ways to power things. Did you know that? Yet they're being shoved down our throats like it doesn't cost anything. Electric cars, oh, I mean, you just pull up to this charging station and you fill up for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and you're done. Glad somebody finally put engineering and math to paper. That's what we've done. Enter one BC Hydro executive. That would be an electrical scientist. He was asked about that renewable thing how that was going on with these battery-powered cars. He laughed. Why did he laugh? Well, if you really intend to adopt electric vehicles, he pointed out, you got to face certain realities. For one, here's an example. A home charging system for a Tesla, it requires 75-amp service. That's the intensity of the electricity that comes in to your house. Well, here's a problem. The average a house is equipped with a 100-amp service. So on a small street with about 25 homes, the electrical infrastructure would be unable to carry more than three houses with each of those three houses having one Tesla each. For even half the homes to have electric cars, the system would be wildly overloaded. So what does that mean? you got to completely overhaul the electric grid to be able to accommodate electric cars. This is the elephant in the room regarding electric vehicles. Our residential infrastructure can't bear the load. So as our elected officials promote this nonsense, not only are they urging us to buy these things and replace our reliable and cheap generating systems with expensive new windmills and solar cells, We also have to renovate the entire delivery system for all of our energy. This investment, as Democrats call it, this investment 
is not going to be talked about. It's not going to be revealed until we're so far down this dead-end road that it's going to be given to us kind of like this. Whoop, we forgot to tell you. But if you want to argue with a green person over cars that are eco-friendly, just read this. This same scientist, his name is Eric, he test drove a Chevy Volt at the invitation of General Motors, and he wrote this, quote, For four days in a row, the fully charged battery lasted only 25 miles before the Volt switched to the reserve gasoline engine. Eric calculated the car got 30 miles per gallon, including the 25 miles it ran on the battery. So the range, including the 9-gallon gas tank and the 16-kilowatt-hour battery, is about 270 miles. So it will take you about four and a half hours to drive 270 miles at 60 miles an hour. That seems kind of reasonable. Then you got to add 10 hours to charge the battery, and you have a total trip time of 14 and a half hours to go 270 miles. In a typical road trip, your average speed, including the charging time, is going to be about 20 miles an hour. According to GM, the Volt battery holds 16 kilowatts of electricity, and it takes a full 10 hours to charge a fully drained battery. That's not even talking about the cost of the electricity. That is never mentioned. So here's what you would pay for electricity for this Volt. Approximately, and it varies with the amount you used in the seasons, $1.16 per kilowatt hour. 16 kilowatt hours times $1.16 per kilowatt hour is $18.56 to charge the battery one time. $18.56 per charge divided by 25 miles, that equals 74 cents a mile to operate the Volt using the battery. Now you compare this to similar sized cars that are running on gasoline or diesel that gets only 32 miles per gallon. $3.19 per gallon divided by 32 miles per gallon equals 10 cents a mile as compared to 74 cents a mile for a Chevy Volt. The gasoline power car cost about 25 grand. The Volt, almost twice that, 46,000. So the Canadian government wants loyal Canadians today not to do the math. Just pay twice as much for a car that costs more than seven times as much to run. And it takes three times longer to drive across the country. I bet you've never heard those numbers mentioned before. And don't think for a second they don't know those numbers. But it doesn't fit neatly. It can't go into the package of the Green New Deal and how effective and necessary and clean and cost-effective the Green New Deal and solar and wind and battery-powered energy. Oh, we got to do it. We just got to pay the price and go for it. There aren't many American families that can afford that switch, especially with Joe Biden's current economic policies and the track he's put us on economically. We're going to be lucky if we're able to ever buy another car. A lot of us. Wow. 
Well, why don't we segue over to our little section of the show today, our coronavirus story. The United Press International, UPI, they report that a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman told the regular press briefing that WHO Director General Tedros, I can't even pronounce his name, we'll just call him uh, Director General Tedros, made a proposal last week, is different from the position of many countries, including China. Remember this, in February, a team of WHO experts visited the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That was where a team of those Chinese scientists were studying those bat coronaviruses. The WHO team said after they took the trip to the source of the coronavirus, the source of the virus itself, even after that, remains unidentified. This Chinese expert said any new WHO-led audits of Chinese labs should be decided by member states, even as Tedros begged China to cooperate with the second phase of the investigation, and we got to find the origins of this coronavirus. The WHO should fully communicate and negotiate with member states, he said, accept their opinions, while at the same time making the process of drafting work plans open and transparent. This Chinese guy's name is Zhao. So Zhao promoted an unfounded conspiracy theory a year ago that our military, the U.S. military, same guy, said that we brought the virus to China. He tweeted after the briefing yesterday, the WHO should inspect Fort Detrick in Frederick, Maryland. Where in the heck did that come from? Well, last week, the Chinese spokesman recommended investigating the role of cold chains and the global frozen food trade, adding to the Beijing narrative suggesting that China... They've moved on from the crisis. It's a done deal. They're through. So Chinese state media reported over the weekend an online petition is circulating in their country demanding an investigation into a lab at Fort Detrick. First time I've heard Fort Detrick, Maryland even being mentioned in the COVID-19 conversation. And that petition going around China now It's asking for a probe of the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. And they've already collected more than 2 million signatures by late Monday night. What in the heck do they hope to accomplish with this petition floating around China? Can you imagine, can you see a picture of any Chinese resident? I don't care who you are, top to bottom, high economy, wealthy, poor, living out way out in the boonies or living in Beijing downtown, saying no to somebody that puts one of these um, petitions in front of you. I'm not going to sign that. I don't agree with that. Yeah, right. They'll take you out and shoot you. So what the heck does China think they're trying to do? This can only be, only be a political ploy just to try to put off finding the real source of the COVID-19 virus. And it's almost obvious that they're panicking. They're just grasping for straws because they don't want the world to turn on them. Remember this, they're the biggest bully on earth, but they're not the most powerful on earth. And they know that. Believe me, Xi Jinping is not a stupid man, the leader of Soviet, not Soviet, but communist China. 
he's the guy. He's got a pretty good lay of the land regarding who's out there in the neighborhood and who's got the biggest one of whatever it is they're comparing. So something we don't talk too much about in the COVID-19 conversation is the economic impact that it's making. It's not as bad, and it didn't last as long. It's over, according to economists. I'm talking about the big COVID-19 economy hit. It was a recession. It was caused by our pandemic, but it was the shortest such downturn in modern history. That's according to a, a panel of economic experts that got together yesterday. So a panel of the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is a private nonprofit, said that the, the virus recession spanned late February through early April, roughly two months from start to finish. That is a shock to me. But these are the experts, folks, so we got to listen to what they say. The Business Cycle Dating Committee of this group measures a recession from the peak of economic activity before it happens, and they go all the way through the lowest point before it starts getting okay. So U.S. economic activity peaked in late February before the emergence of the pandemic shutdown, much of the country, and began recovering sometime in April, they said. Interesting, isn't it? The recent downturn had different characteristics and dynamics than our prior recessions. That's that's what came out of the panel. They said this, Nonetheless, the committee concluded the unprecedented magnitude of the decline in employment and production and its broad reach across the economy warranted the designation of this episode as a recession, even though the downturn was briefer than earlier contractions. The shortest such recession declared until Monday was six months, spanning the first half of 1980. So what did COVID-19 do to us economically? Well, its onset caused the fastest and the deepest economic decline in the U.S. since the Great Depression. That is a fact, and they agree. More than 21 million Americans lost their jobs between March and April of 2020. And the economy shrank by an annualized rate of more than 33% in the second quarter last year. But our economy began to recover by May, even if it was slowly and even if it was unequally from top to bottom. And that ended the technical period of recession. In determining that a trough occurred in April of 2020, the committee did not conclude that the economy has returned to operating at normal capacity. Economic activity is below normal in the early stages of an expansion, typically, and it sometimes remains so well into the expansion. So I guess basically the takeaway from that is it was bad. And it still is bad, but it's nothing like it's been in the past. And guess why? Because our economy before the pandemic, before Fauci took us down, before any of that even began to happen, our economy was booming at record levels from top to bottom. More people employed than ever in U.S. history, breaking down the various demographic groups within our population that were working. African-Americans, more employed than ever. Women, more women employed than ever. 
And the rate of people on welfare in the nation plummeted because everybody was finding a job. That's why this recession, and it's officially tagged now a recession, it was only a month and a half long, two months maybe, before we started crawling out of that heap. Thank goodness this pandemic didn't happen right now. I can tell you this, with our inflation going through the roof at record levels, the cost of everything going up, people fighting to get employees to work for them, federal government sending out dollars that we don't have, billions of dollars, no incentive for people to go back to work. If we hit a recession right now, folks, I can't imagine what it would be like. Thankfully, Donald Trump was in the White House for four years, even if you didn't like him, even if you didn't agree with his messaging, which I'm one who didn't. I didn't like the way he put out his ideas. You never questioned, never had to wonder what he was thinking because he always said it. Very unpresidential in many ways, but as far as America is concerned, he did a good job economically. Nobody that is honest can question that. Well, speaking of honesty, (laughs) or maybe dishonesty, what do you think about Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary? Well, you don't get a lot of truth there. You get a lot of Joe Biden administration partisan hackery from the podium when she steps to the podium every day pretty much now for a press briefing. And so in the middle of all of this, it came out yesterday. And believe me, it didn't come from her podium. Some media critics have found some anti-vaccine rhetoric. You know, that's the ones that people are against getting vaccines. They found some from some pretty high up and prominent Democrats and some liberal pundits in the middle of the calls for more Americans to get the vaccine. And even some, and this cry for this is getting louder and louder. More people are starting to say it. Make COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory. In the last few weeks, some of these liberal networks have even offered guest and analysis platforms on which to demand government mandatory vaccines. It's time to impose vaccine mandates in passport. That came from a CNN political analyst, Julian Zelizer, 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 last month. And his comments were followed by CNN medical contributor Dr. Leanna Wynn, who suggested life needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Conservative commentator Drew Holden provided a thread of Democrats and media members last year who he felt undermined vaccine confidence while President Trump was still in the White House. And then there was VP Kamala Harris. She was pretty much the most notable person that didn't trust the COVID-19 vaccines that were developed under Operation Warp Speed. And of course, why is that? You need not even ask. It's because Donald Trump was president. She said last year that she didn't trust the president during an interview with CNN's Dana Bash. I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump, she said. I will not take his word for it. She was asked in an interview if she would get the shot. Her comments were shared, even applauded by left-leaning outlets like Daily Cause. 
The VP would later take that message to the 2020 vice presidential debate she had with VP Mike Pence, noting she wouldn't take the vaccine if it was recommended by Trump. Well, Mike Pence charged her with trying to undermine public confidence in the vaccine. And then, of course, her remarks would resurface after Harris publicly took the vaccination in December. The president himself, Joe Biden, he was skeptical of the vaccine a year ago. Folks don't remember this, but the New York Times wrote in a headline, quote, Biden seizing on worries of a rushed vaccine warns Trump can't be trusted. And that title had some company. Trump's vaccines can't be trusted, a foreign policy column matter-of-factly stated. Will anyone trust serial liar Donald Trump's coronavirus vaccine? That was in Vanity Fair. Media pundits joined in questioning the vaccine produced under Trump's watch. Frankly, the fact that Pfizer was not part of Operation Warp Speed and took no Trump government funding makes me feel better about their vaccine. That's MSNBC host, NBC host Joy Reid. Just speaking for myself, I wouldn't go near anything that Trump or his politicized FDA had anything to do with. But this weekend, while admitting she first had some hesitancy about the vaccine because of Trump, she now told her followers to get vaxxed and survive this freaking thing. Journalist Glenn Greenwald was among the analysts who shared Holden's thread, accusing Democrats of casting doubt on the vaccine as means to hurt Trump's re-election chances. So, in spite of all this skepticism from lawmakers and pundits alike, Operation Warp Speed, folks, it was truly a bipartisan miracle for helping produce vaccines in record time during the pandemic. Dr. Francis Collins, head of the National Institutes of Health, called it a breathtaking success. White House medical advisor, the guru, Dr. Fauci, said it would go down historically as highly successful. Even Jake Tapper of CNN, who we never quote here on this show, Jake called the initiative a remarkable accomplishment. Of course, he said that while he's questioning Why aren't you getting vaccinated? Politicize. That's what we do here. We politicize. So, as you know, there's been some big COVID vaccine infections, a big jump in the last few weeks. What the heck is going on with that? We're we're just... We're treading water, trying to get real information from the experts. And folks, the experts... Guess what they're doing? You know what they're doing. They're treading water with you and me. They're grasping for the same straws as are we. Who do they turn to to get facts? What kind of information do they have that they're not sharing with you and me? I want to know about that. Well, there's some brand new bad stuff out there. That's next at TNN Live. Don't go anywhere. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The Truth News Network.
New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. In a world where a president can be censored by social media in his own country, you need a break from the madness. Your doctor of sanity again, Dan Newman. Doctor, Dr. Dan. I guess I am the doctor of insanity. We're kind of on top of it right now trying to figure it out. Well, there's some stuff that we just can't get our arms around going around. Deaths of vaccinated outnumber those of COVID-19 infected in recent weeks. I knew this would probably happen, but now it's official. I'll say that again. Deaths of people vaccinated against COVID-19 exceed those caused by the virus among people who have not received this, any one of these three, experimental vaccines here in the United States. This is scary, folks. This conclusion results from a comparison of data that's posted on the VAERS system that we quote from regularly here for the two weeks prior to the last report, July 16th. While last week's deaths of vaccinated persons from vaccine-related complications total 2,100, whereas the total number of deaths caused by COVID were only 1,918. That's 174 less. So in other words, people that were vaccinated, more of them died last week than did those who didn't have a vaccination. The total number of deaths vaccinated persons now stands at 11,140. So what is this all about? Well, one investigation points that the data reported to VAERS is usually only 1% to 10% of the total number of deaths that are caused by it. So we won't even go back and look at all those numbers, but that totals 463,000. 463,000 across all age groups after vaccinations. 463,000, folks. These are the adverse effects, not the deaths but the serious adverse effects. And we went through that ad nauseum on our show yesterday. In fact, it's the highlight story 
of yesterday at truthnewsnet.org. You can go grab that. But just for reference, that almost half a million bad reactions includes 48,000 that were serious, 7,370 more compared to just a week ago. The same trend is happening in the UK, where most COVID-19 deaths in England now occur among those that are vaccinated. Folks, listen to what we're saying. More people are dying that have been vaccinated here and in the UK than folks that are dying without the vaccine. And listen to where that runs counter to what we're being told. Yesterday, all day long, everybody that got a camera and a microphone in front of their faces, and they were talking about this, every one of those government officials said almost all of the deaths from COVID-19 that are happening are among those who haven't been vaccinated. Joe Biden even said famously over the weekend, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to pay the price. So you can pretty much assume whenever our quote-unquote government experts are pontificating about anything, and you see it on various news outlets all during one news cycle, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever that cycle turns out to be, they all say the same things again and again, you can know that it's a political talking point. And they are horrified themselves to hear more people are dying of COVID-19 that have been vaccinated than those who have not. Now, what am I telling you? I'm not giving anybody medical advice. That's not what we do here. We refer you to the medical experts in your life that you trust for that information. But I'm telling you, don't go to the news and make a determination of what you should or shouldn't do regarding vaccines for yourself or others. Don't do that. Go directly to a medical expert that you trust to get it. And you might want to bring this up that we just gave you. This comes, folks, directly from the Centers for Disease Control, VAERS website, and also from the UDRA Vigilance UK website that does the same type of reporting. In both places, on both sides of the pond, more people are dying from COVID-19 that have been vaccinated than people that are dying without being vaccinated. Wow. And of course, new controversy surrounding Anthony. Yesterday on CNN's At This Hour, Anthony Fauci reacted to some new COVID guidance from the American Academy of Pediatrics. And they recommend, this American Academy of Pediatrics, recommend universal masking in school of everybody that's two years old or older, regardless of their vaccination status. Now, according to Fauci, which I don't even know why we, we have to bring you the things that he says because he's still the anointed one, even though we know that 50% of what he says over the last 16 months hasn't been factual. Anyway, according to Tony, that guidance to return to in-person school is the reasonable thing to do. Here's what he said. I think that's along the same lines as what we've seen with the health authorities in L.A., which is in the general population and has said the same thing, that when you have a degree of viral dynamics in the community, 
and you have a substantial proportion of the population that is unvaccinated, you really want to go the extra step, the extra mile, to make sure that there's not a lot of transmission, even breakthrough infections among vaccinated individuals. Now, let me just boil down. I'm going to read that again. I'm reading his exact quote because I want to get it right. This is the guy that guides us. Life and death choices and decisions we're making because of him. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to do it slower so you can digest it as I read it. This is Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday. Quote, I think that's along, that being the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendation that kids two and over wear masks at school. I think that's along the same lines as what we've seen with the health authorities in Los Angeles. What the heck does that have to do with anything? Health authorities in Los Angeles? Is COVID different in LA than it is in oh, Topeka, Kansas or Dubok, Louisiana? COVID's COVID, folks. Let's continue. That in the general population has said the same thing. When you have a degree of viral dynamics in the community, what does that mean? A degree of viral dynamics in the community? Like you and I are supposed to know what he's talking about. I'm not a stupid person. I've been in medical operations in my life for 30 years professionally. I don't know what the heck that reference is. You have a degree of viral dynamics in the community. My honest opinion is is that you've always got a degree of viral dynamics in every community. And you have a substantial proportion, he continued, of the population that is unvaccinated that you really want to go the extra step, the extra mile, to make sure that there is not a lot of transmission, even breakthrough infections among vaccinated individuals. Well, let me just ask you an honest question and be honest with me. In fact, somebody pick up the phone and call and let's discuss this if I'm wrong. If you're vaccinated, why are people getting reinfected? If the vaccine works, why isn't it working? If it works and they tell us you're going to die if you don't take it, but then people are taking it and as the numbers just you just heard here, more people are dying of late in the last week. More people died who were vaccinated and they died from COVID-19. Then people died last week from COVID-19 who had never had the vaccination. Why is that? Why don't the experts like Fauci and whoever else he anoints, why don't they explain that to us? And I can tell you what, any inclination I have ever had to believe anything that comes out of Dr. Anthony Fauci, based on what you just heard him say, my inclination to do that is gone. He is no better in no better situation to make choices for us and give us advice than anybody else on earth. He doesn't know. He is a little man in stature. There's no question I've seen it my entire life. I'm going to diagnose that he has Napoleonic syndrome. What's that all about? Napoleon Bonaparte was a little bitty guy, and he was very self-conscious about his short statue, stature. So he tried to make up for that by appearing to be a brilliant guy, which he wasn't. 
Fauci, I don't know if he's really, really smart. I think he's smart because he's got himself and has for some years in a very responsible position where a lot of people look to him and trust what he says. He's a quote-unquote expert. And the fact that even when I mention that, I'm putting it in quotations means he's not really an expert. He's a big shot in medicine, but when big shots in anything are wrong a large part of the time about what they tell us are facts, you're going to become nothing more than a liar. And so I'm not saying he's a liar, but I am saying much. In fact, I I haven't looked at it line by line, but I would say almost all that he has told us has turned out to be untrue. That doesn't speak well for the man's honesty, his integrity, and his ability to give us good and truthful information. But boy, he gives us information every day, doesn't he? On another note, overnight I was, I was, I always skim on Monday. I always look at uh, what happened in Chicago the past weekend. And as, as we told you, 50 plus people were shot. And I think about a dozen were killed in Chicago. And I thought, I, I heard this report that came out of a, of a Fox affiliate TV station in Chicago. And it's, it's just, it's less than 30 seconds. But I wanted you to hear this analysis from somebody who's in Chicago and has their thumb on the pulse of the criminality that's just taken over Chicago and many other of our big cities in the nation. Listen to the numbers and the synopsis this reporter makes about Chicago gun violence. An alarming report revealing the number of Chicago police officers that have retired this year has already surpassed all of the retirements in 2018 and that they are on track to be the highest number in the department's history. In fact, one report claims Chicago gang members now outnumber the city's police officers by 10 to 1. This comes as the crime situation in Chicago grows out of control and there are calls to defund the police. Put that in context, folks. In Chicago, where they've got tons of cops, if you've ever been up there, I mean, they're infamous for their uh, brutal and very egregious policing methodologies that have uh, been historic. Movies have even been made about them. Uh, Let me give you one example. Many years ago, let's see, that would be in about 19... hmm, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to put it together here. Right around... 1980, 81, 82, I was a general sales manager of a Ford Lincoln Mercury Toyota dealership. And the dealer's older brother, um, he was on staff there, and he was he was a guy that did all of the important running for us. In those days, and it still happens, but not so much today as it did back then, we had the ability, if a customer comes into our dealership and is looking for a specific vehicle and we didn't have it, we could make a phone call to a regional office of Ford Lincoln Mercury and they could look on the inventories of every dealer in our region. And if it was, say, a particular model, specific equipment, color, those kind of things, they could tell us over the phone. And then I, as a general sales manager, I'd pick up the phone and call my counterpart at this other dealership and say, hey, dealer transport shows that you have this vehicle do you have it and would you be willing to trade with me? 
And so basically if they did and I had something that they wanted, we would exchange checks and paperwork. But I would send my driver to that dealership to make the swap. He would go in my vehicle and pick up the new one that we were selling to one of our own customers. Well, this dealer's older brother, he did that. Very responsible position because you got to take care of the new vehicle because you don't get to uh, get paid for it as a dealership until you get it there and you deliver it to your customer. Before he did that, he grew up in Chicago and he was a policeman in Chicago. And as often happens in a dealership, you have lag time where there are no customers on the floor or on the lot looking, usually early in the morning is when it happens. And so we'd sit and drink some coffee occasionally after a sales meeting, and I would dig him to tell me some of the Chicago police stories. They had a regular system that they would use when they took somebody they considered to be a thug off the street in Chicago. In every precinct at the time, now this is back in the 50s and early 60s, He said every time they had one of these guys that were arrested like that, they always handcuffed them. And he said, you see them handcuffing people behind their backs. He said, I understand they do that when they put them in a cruiser to take them to arrest them or book them or whatever else. They don't want their hands out in front of them so they could do something to you. But he said, we always always handcuffed our prisoners up front. And I said, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, very seldom did they ride in a real car situation with us, we had paddy wagons and they were locked up in the back. So we weren't afraid. And he said, but the real reason was when we got them to our precinct, every precinct in Chicago had this put together. There was one door in a room somewhere deep into the bowels of that precinct. And over the top of it, they had, they had hung a very heavy door, solid door. And over the top of it, right up at the top on one side of the door, they had this big hook that was in the door and they would take these prisoners that they had just arrested and they would put them on the other side of the door and make them reach up over the top of the door and they would hook the chain between their handcuffs on that hook and most of the time their feet would be off the floor and they would take rubber hoses and beat these guys And he said the rubber hoses wouldn't make them bleed and it would take days before the bruises began to show up. Now that, folks, is a tough way to handle violence. It really is. And I just put that in perspective of the way that policemen today are being treated compared to what was just common knowledge that was happening around Chicago 40 or 50 years ago. That's not that long ago in the scheme of time lapse, is it? And that was okay up there. Now, folks, prosecuting and holding criminals accountable for their actions has been dumbed down so much, and the legal beagles have stepped in, and cops are just scared to do anything. But here's one thing that hasn't changed if you're on a police force at any level in the nation. One thing hasn't changed. When something bad happens in your community, in your town, your city, your neighborhood, and it's one that you're going to even think about calling 911, and it's not a medical emergency, but it's a, a crime thing, 
If you're an American, you're going to pick the phone up and call 911. And when you do, you expect somebody to come out there and help you, whatever your situation is, especially if it's over some criminality. So here's what's happened in the wake of this defund the police, this dehumanization of everybody that wears a uniform. We used to respect people that were in police, that were our police and over us in our communities. We felt similar things about our firemen. They were the folks that would run into a fire or run into a criminal scene, no holes barred, just take off running in there to get it resolved, whatever it happened to be. A fire, a gunfight, whatever it was. And up until, what, two years ago, maybe three years ago, it was pretty much the same way. Cops were having to be a little more cautious about their methodology, and they went to videoing everything, body cams and all that. So they had to back off a little bit. But now with this defund the cop thing, criminality in the nation is taking over. And it's not because Americans have become more violent. It's because there's no pushback from law enforcement that has, in large part through the years, stopped it from happening. I mean, if you know, if you have confidence as a criminal that if you do this, whatever this is, and it's against the law, and you're going to be forced to pay a a, a price for it, maybe even with your freedom, you're going to think twice before you do it. But now, our political leaders have dumbed down the effectiveness of our policing simply because they've taken all of their support and the undergirding for the policemen and women that are on the streets out there every day, literally putting their lives on the line to keep us safe. And so as you heard in that report there in Chicago, prime example, per capita, no question, it is the most violent city in the United States. In fact, it's even in the top 10 worldwide. Here in the United Nations, folks, United States, it's hard to swallow, but that's happening during our lifetimes, and it hasn't always been that way. But here's why it is getting worse and will continue to. The men and women in law enforcement are scared to death for their lives. Some of these cities have even dissolved the undergirding, the indemnification that has just been automatic in policing for generations. Now, what is indemnification? If you're a cop on the beat and you do something, and it may be questionable, it may not even be questionable, but this person that you arrest is mad about it and they know this environment of supporting the the violent over supporting the police and law enforcement agents, they're going to use the system and they're going to use it against you. So in the past, it was common. If somebody had a beef with a cop during an arrest, they would sue the city. And the city would always step in and take responsibility. And in doing so, they would indemnify the police officer from any personal liability for these incidents, each one of them. Now, these police forces are dropping their indemnification of their cops. So the cops, if these kind of things happen again, these criminals are going to sue the city. They're going to sue the county. They're going to sue the state. The state. But guess who else gets included in these lawsuits? The cops. So where is a cop supposed to get the kind of money that 
judges and juries are handing out in these trials that come up all the time. What did George Floyd's family get before there was even ever a trial of Derek Chauvin? The city of Minneapolis settled with them for millions of dollars. I think it was seven or eight million, maybe even more than that. And if you're a cop and you're not now under the indemnification umbrella of your city, you're the one that's going to get stuck with that. Why would anybody want to be a cop anymore? It makes absolutely no sense. None whatsoever. And speaking of all this, you know, the left have been clamoring for months now. We got to get these people, those January 6th rioters at the U.S. Capitol. Those, those Trump MAGA supporters, they were all MAGA folks. We got to get them. We got to put them behind bars. And in the wake of that, of course, the FBI, it was a federal event. The FBI has been investigating. They had facial recognition. They knew who every person on Capitol grounds was in just a matter of days and weeks. And they began to quietly investigate them. And they arrested 511 the last time I heard have been arrested. Well, yesterday, a Tampa man, Tampa, Florida, has become the first to receive a felony sentence from a federal judge, sentenced to serve eight months behind bars after his participation in the Capitol riot. His name is Paul Hodgkins, age 38. He was sentenced after pleading guilty to interrupting a proceeding last month despite not being charged with assault or property damage. If I had any idea that the protest would escalate the way it did, I would have never ventured farther than the sidewalk of Pennsylvania Avenue. This is what Hodgkins told the judge. This was a foolish decision on my part. Later, Hodgkins also addressed the court. He claimed that he believed Joe Biden was the true president of the United States. Hodgkins' attempt to be classed as a minor participant in this riot, disturbance, whatever you want to call it, It was denied. The judge wouldn't let him do it. He noted that he was one of a limited number of people who made it all the way onto the Senate floor. So while the judge believed Hodgkins' involvement in the riot was an aberration in his life, I don't even think most people know what an aberration is anyway. The judge used it. He also felt the attack on January 6th tarnished American history and that future riots must be avoided. The judge said the symbolism of that act is unmistakable. In that act, he captured the threat to democracy that we all witnessed that day. People have to know that assaulting the U.S. Capitol and impeding the democratic process, even if you don't come bearing arms, will have consequences. Patrick Ledoux, Hodgkin's lawyer, claimed that labeling an out-of-control American demonstration as terrorism was a mistake. All of this commentary about January 6th being an act of domestic terrorism, I find it to be offensive. I think it's gaslighting the country, and it needs to stop. It was a protest that became a riot. That's what his attorney said. He also said that Hodgkins' acts were comparable to Ann Morgan Lloyd, who's a 49-year-old Indiana woman who, after pleading guilty to misdemeanor disorderly conduct, was sentenced to three years of probation. On the other hand, prosecutors pointed out that Hodgkins boarded a bus with a backpack that contained a rope, safety goggles, latex gloves, implying he was getting ready for some violence. 
Moreover, during the riot, Hodgkin walked onto the Senate floor wearing a Trump 2020 t-shirt and carrying a flag over his shoulder. I think we just hit on the reason this guy is going to be behind bars. He was wearing a Trump 2020 t-shirt. You think that might be part of it? I got to be honest with you. I don't see any way around it. But you know, there was somebody else, somebody else that really got it that day at the Capitol. Somebody died there. Died on the spot. We've got a perspective on that. Of course, we're talking about Ashley Babbitt. We've got that next here at TNN Live. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, foam. I smell the... I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. How to improve your dining room by the Home Depot. New wood floors, new paint on the walls. Sure, you know us for that. But how about a new dining room table, matching chairs, bar stools? How about free and flexible delivery with easy online returns? Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything for your home. Everything from homedepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples. Make more happen. That's kind of a fitting song for this story we're about to get into. That's a group, Guess Who? Song title is American Woman. Guess Who? They were really great back in the early 70s. Anyway... Yeah, somebody else died at the U.S. Capitol, and it was at the hands of police. Who are we talking about? Of course, I told you going into the break, Ashley Babbitt. So let's just do this. Let's pause for a second, take a look at two cops and two murders. The first one, of course, Derek Chauvin, George Floyd, Memorial Day a year ago in Minneapolis, and John Doe. That's the cop name, John Doe and Ashley Babbitt. Two cops, two unarmed citizens were killed. One of those you care about and one you don't. Even murder seems to be politicized these days. 
Nobody needs much of a recap on Chauvin and Floyd. We all watched it ad nauseum. We heard it rammed down our throats over and over and over again. George Floyd, a black man, tried to pass off a counterfeit $20 bill, and he just did it while he was messed up on drugs at the time. So white Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin and some other cops responded, and in doing that, restraining Floyd, they killed him. Everyone's seen the video of Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck. And as if it was a requirement, been coaxed to judge for themselves whether it was appropriate, whether it was necessary, and whether it caused his death. A jury judged those things too, folks. And the result was a 22-and-a-half-year sentence for Chauvin. And in handing down that sentence, the judge said it was justified because Chauvin committed his crime in the presence of children who, of course, had gathered to help jeer at the cops. The woman who shot the snuff video got a special citation from the Pulitzer Prize Board. Did you know that? It's a big deal, Floyd's death. And his death, of course, set off an angry summer of violence under the Black Lives Matter banner as progressives shut down opposing voices, several downtowns, to insist that Chauvin's actions were part of systemic racism, reaching back to 1619, an unbroken lineage. Celebrities, politicians, academics, everybody, they got together for camera time, and they were demanding the cops be defunded. But there's also a video of white Ashley Babbitt being killed by a black law enforcement officer. But it's been played by the mainstream media maybe one ten-thousandth as often as they play the Floyd murder clip. Ashley Babbitt, she was wearing a Trump flag like a cape, was one of the rioters who smashed the glass on the door that led to the Speaker's lobby of the Capitol. A plainclothes cop, a Capitol police officer, apparently with no warning, fired a shot, and Babbitt fell into the crowd and died. He shot her from behind. He hit her on the left side of her neck. You can see the video live. And when that bullet hit her neck, it pierced an artery and she bled out on the floor in a matter of minutes. And by the way, it was the only shot that was fired during the riot. A SWAT team just behind Babbitt saw it happen. They saw it differently and never fired on her or anybody else that was with her. So like Floyd, Babbitt was unarmed. Like Floyd, Babbitt was committing a crime when she was killed by a cop. But unlike Floyd, there is no question of whether she was resisting arrest because the cop never got that far. He just shot her. In the Floyd case, we know everything about Derek Chauvin. We saw him convicted in open court. Not so with Babbitt's killer. Almost all police departments nationwide are required to release an officer's name after a fatal shooting. Not the U.S. Capitol Police. Why is that? They answer only to Congress. Even as Congress demands nationwide police reforms, ironically the new lower standards of proof that are proposed by H.R. 1280 called the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, would condemn the Capitol cop too. They have steadfastly refused to release the name 
of Babbitt's killer. In February, the Capitol Police stated they would share additional information once an investigation is complete. Well, investigators closed the case, folks, in April. They cleared the still-unnamed officer of wrongdoing in Babbitt's death without addressing the fact that the medical examiner ruled the death a homicide. They didn't even tell you that, did they? The medical examiner in Washington, D.C. ruled Ashley Babbitt's death a homicide, left it at that. No trial, no public accounting, not even a name for the Babbitt family to use in filing a wrongful death suit. Because Congress exempts the Capitol Police from the Freedom of Information Act, the family is forced to sue, quote, for documents that identify the officer who shot Babbitt, as well as notes and summaries of what the officer said regarding the shooting and the reasons he discharged his weapon. So I'm sure if this was you or if it was me, we'd want some information. They'd like some on Babbitt's death, and they got hardly anything. The Department of Justice simply wrote there was insufficient evidence to support a criminal prosecution. Folks, I saw it. I watched it. Didn't watch it live, but I went back and watched it multiple times. She was totally, she knew nothing. She was in, uh, she didn't see anything or know anything about that cop behind her. She was just pushing forward. She was unarmed. She had tried nothing, no violence whatsoever. And she was a veteran. And he shot her. We don't even know why he shot her. The DOJ didn't even bother to hide its legal fudge, which had its investigators look narrowly at a constitutional question and not at a homicide. So with no shame... DOJ said it focused on 18 U.S.C. 242, which is a federal criminal civil rights statute. This requires prosecutors prove the officer acted willfully to deprive Babbitt of her rights. Here, the Fourth Amendment protection against unreasonable seizure. Prosecutors would have to prove not only that the officer used constitutionally unreasonable force, but the officer did so willfully with the intent to deprive Babbitt of her Fourth Amendment rights. That meant evidence the officer acted out of fear, mistake, panic, misperception, negligence, or even poor judgment can't establish the high level of intent that are required. In everyday terms, folks, that's called a setup en route to a cover-up. Contrast that with the Chauvin deal. Prosecutors laid out a spread of charges, manslaughter, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, all in the one death of George Floyd, leaving the civil rights question that saved the Capitol cop as a separate matter. That allowed prosecutors to instruct the jury. There, of course, there was no jury in Babbitt's case. The medical examiner ruled it a homicide. Nobody is taking accountability Nobody is forcing anybody to stand in a place of accountability. So what do they do? They decide on emotion, saying, use your common sense. Believe your eyes. What you saw, you saw. Imagine a jury in Babbitt's case, overexposed to a perpetually playing video of her killing, acting on the same instructions. 
But that never happened. No one had much to say during the Babbitt investigation either. In Floyd's case, oh my gosh, Joe Biden said he was praying the jury would reach the right verdict, calling the evidence overwhelming in my view. His doing that was uncontroverted, absolutely unethical for a president to do. Maxine Waters demanded protesters become more confrontational if Chauvin was acquitted. That was so blatantly inflammatory, it was almost grounds for a mistrial, never mind an impeachment, had she held high office at the time. The president cheers on one prosecution, remaining silent, while another murder is made to go away. Cities build monuments to George Floyd as a martyr, while the New York Times runs gossipy articles on Babbitt's marriage problems, asking for justice in Floyd's case as a duty, even if it means burning down stores, which they did again and again and again. Those who want the same justice for Babbitt are mocked as QAnon cultists. Come on, folks, did she didn't she didn't bleed? She didn't bleed out, she didn't die. She wasn't shot from behind. Oh, but there's more. Floyd was only on drugs passing fake money because of racism. Whereas Babbitt was a, a seditionist, a vandal who was asking for it. Floyd's death created a movement for change. Trump's embrace of Ashley Babbitt anointed January 6th the heroic uprising for white supremacists seeking to overthrow democracy. Absolutely no one would write of Floyd as one mainstream media outlet did of Babbitt. Quote, her death, while tragic, occurred for a very good reason. The Air Force veteran, the story said, who had been fully converted into the most dangerous and fantastical pro-Trump conspiracy theories, had joined the aggressive vanguard of the January 6th insurrection. Babbitt deserved it, they said. The article went on to compare Babbitt's status as martyr to Horst Wessel, a German stormtrooper killed by communists in 1930 who inspired the epitome Nazi anthem. Others, folks, claim that Donald Trump is liable for her death that the answer to who killed Ashley Babbitt is Trump. And, of course, the Washington Post, they weighed in. The death of Ashley Babbitt, they said, offers the purest distillation of Donald Trump's view of justice, which apparently means to them that Trump supported George Floyd's killing while mourning Ashley Babbitt's. The Daily Beast, they fretted. If the base believes they are being prosecuted and even assassinated like Babbitt, They will justify anything to reject Democrat rule and future elections that deprive them of their power. Sears and Kmart even wait on on this. They pull from sell t-shirts reading Ashley Babbitt, American Patriot, after an outcry on social media. Headlines read, Marjorie Taylor Greene provokes outrage by comparing Ashley Babbitt's death to George Floyd's because Babbitt was okay to shoot, apparently, while actively participating in a violent riot. And Floyd? Well, he was murdered by racists. Oh, by the way, racist cops, white cops. It's difficult in the face of so much hypocrisy to find any air in which to comment on the state of our country. 
Some murders are more equal than others. Go figure that out, folks. Murder's murder, but not so much anymore. They're going to pick and choose who it's okay to murder. Dead bodies only matter when they can be used for your side's political purposes. So why are some cops murderers and others are protected with anonymity and they get a free pass investigation? Novel thought. This cop was an African-American. Ashley Babbitt was white. Could that not have been the reason he shot her from behind and killed her? We'll never know. We don't even have an idea who the guy is, yet alone what kind of person he was. But according to the medical examiner, he murdered Ashley Babbitt. The absolute craven transparency of this progressive argument is what gives hope. Hope that at some point, enough Americans will set aside their blind Trump rage, look past the 24-7 propaganda directed at them, and come to realize even murder now only matters for the partisan cliques that it generates. Our media in the nation is happy to justify Ashley Babbitt's death, seeing it almost in biblical terms, divine retribution for supporting Trump. George Floyd was always just a victim of an unjust society. Ashley Babbitt was put down for political sins. Her killer escaped justice, and the government helped him escape any retribution. Now, ain't that the democratic vision of what America is today? I mean, it may not be what we want it to be, but folks, that's who we are today. No quid pro quo unless you're an in-the-tank leftist. Speaking of hypocrisy, we're going to end the show today with this. You know who Joe Concha is? He's a uh, Fox contributor. He's a really sharp guy. He called out some more hypocrisy, and this one surrounds Jen Psaki and also the Biden White House for trying to dictate what is and what isn't deemed misinformation on social media. Concha remarked yesterday that the White House press secretary shouldn't be able to weigh in on censorship when she posted incorrect information on Twitter. Here's what Concha said, quote, Well, it may sound hyperbolic, but it's really not when you think about it. When you have the government and administration, a presidential administration, working with a private company, a powerful one, Facebook in this case, maybe the most powerful communications platform in the world, determining what is misinformation and what isn't. And when Ted Cruz just said he was talking about White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who declared that those putting misinformation on social media should be banned across all platforms if banned by one. Concha said this is the same Jen Psaki who posted misinformation about Russian bounties on U.S. troops. She was with CNN then before she joined the Biden administration. This is in 2020. She called that herself misinformation, called it a dubious report, factual, and that it was debunked. She also said that Hunter Biden's laptop that was the product of Russia disinformation, her words, that was in another tweet. 
So based on Jen Psaki's own rules, she should have banned from social media herself because she was posting misinformation. So for the White House to try to determine what is misinformation and what isn't, their track record and Facebook's backtracking track record in terms of fact-checking ain't really good. And you probably just heard a first. In two minutes, I quoted somebody and used the word ain't twice. (laughs) Hey, listen, folks, thanks for being here today. Don't forget, this show goes live immediately after the show. You can grab it in its entirety at Spotify Podcast, also Apple Podcasts. Go download it. Share it with your friends. Make sure you're back tomorrow morning and every Monday through Friday morning from 9 to 11 Central. Make sure you don't miss any of our stories posted every day at truthnewsnet.org. Thank you so much for being here. You guys know how much we love you. We're so appreciative of you joining this team and being part of the family. So you stay close. Anytime you hear something, anytime you want to weigh in, let us know about it at truthnewsnet.org. See you tomorrow. Have a great one. You